Welcome to episode 4 of the Left Behind Game Club. On today's episode, we play through Number Nun's Braid, originally released in 2009. Now, Braid is a video game about a lot of things, including time travel. So, yeah. so I, can, I can rewind time? No, if you had those abilities. <laughs> Welcome to Never End- the Left Behind Game Club. Or never ending- <laughs> that was Sorry. actually really weird. It actually sounded like we were restarting it all. <laughs> You're listening to the Left Behind Game Club. Welcome to the Left Behind Game Club, our never-ending attempt to make sure that no game is left behind. I'm your host, Jacob McCord, and with me, Michael Ruffalo. Hello. You you weren't picking up what I was putting down at all. Sorry, just I was like, where were you? I you did not just, know you were going to throw to me. <laughs> I, I, I took it, and I threw it so hard at your face, and you just did not catch it, it at all. It stunned me. Yeah, it, it, it went right through my hands, hit me in the face, and I was stunned. Well, let me try it with someone that actually can catch something and Momotati. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Hey, guys. <laughs> it's Mo. It's I almost Mo. fell off my chair, boys. That I almost was totally fell off just my for chair. you, Jacob. Mo here. What's up, guys? Thanks. Well, uh, today's game is Braid, as you continue to laugh in my face. Um, and this game was selected, selected by Mike. So, Mike, why don't you tell us a little bit more about Braid? Fantastic. Yeah. So um, I chose Braid as the game that we're going to play next because it has a special place in the industry uh, and in its development. So uh, Braid is created by Jonathan Blow, who was, uh, you know what, I'll get into who Jonathan Blow was as soon as I explain what the game is. Um, So Braid was started, developed in 2005 and released in 2008 in the first summer of arcade. And uh, the reason it's important is because it is the first big successful indie game. Um, and the result of which has led to other developers and publishers recognizing that there's a space um, for people who are interested in games that are not big AAA blockbusters uh, and that they realize they can they can make smaller games that uh, don't necessarily have running and gutting and shooting and uh, and it'll be successful. So that uh, that's Braid, and it's developed by Jonathan Blow, who is a very outspoken games developer. Um, he likes to, uh, I guess, equate himself to more literary figures than uh, than game developers. Uh, I know in one of the interviews I saw, he said he wanted to be uh, essentially the guy who creates games for people who read uh, Thomas Pynchon. Um, so that should kind of give you an idea of... Uh, the type of guy that he is. Okay, um, so we understand... Sorry, go ahead, Mo. Yeah, no, I I didn't even know who this guy was until, like, afterwards, but I think we'll get into it later on, but, yeah, he definitely was influential, and Braid was... I discovered early on, I don't know when you guys picked it up, but it was, like, one of the first, like, Steam games I actually ever, like, purchased, probably because of a wicked sale, and because of the crazy reviews that I didn't expect from an indie game, which I never usually gravitate towards. But it was probably one of the first indie games, or I guess like with quotation mark indie games, um, I ever purchased, played, or even enjoyed. It was surprising that I'd even like it, though. 
so, yeah, so with with that, I think I should ask the question. Um, you uh, can you tell me is this the first time that you've played through the game, and what platform did you play it on? Start with Mo. Uh, yeah. Um, so I bought it. I wish I could pull up exactly when, but I knew it was several years ago. I want to say probably late 2010-ish or maybe early 2011. Um, I bought it then. I played like I think World Two. And which is like the first real world, and then I think a little bit of World Three, and then stopped for whatever reason at that time, and never opened it since. And then when you brought it up, Mike, that was going to be the next game. I was like, sweet, I can finally crack it open and see if I can <laughs> finish it. Yeah. And uh, we'll kind of go from there because I remember an enjoyable experience. I remember it was really cool. I never played a game like it, so I was super stoked to kind of fire it back up again. Uh, and I'm playing it on my PC, um, regular mouse, point click, and the arrow buttons were my tools. Nice. Jacob, how are you playing it? And what's your experience with the game? So, like Mo, I think I purchased it in 2009, and I played it for about an hour, and uh, just never got back to it. So this time, I played through it on PC uh, with an Xbox One controller. Whoa. Very nice. And did, did, you, did you buy it during a Steam sale then? I, I must have. I... Uh, it, it, and because it was before bundles, right? Like a lot of the time I look at my Steam library now and I go, oh yeah, I bought Humble Bundle 7 and in hum- Humble Bundle yeah. 7 there was all these games. But uh, I, I don't exactly remember why or when I purchased it. Right. And I don't want to say more. Yeah. Yet. <laughs> Fair enough. I um, I purchased this game 2008 Summer of Arcade that was an absolutely fantastic summer. It was the year that Bionic Commando Rearmed came out, Castle Crashers, and uh, Geometry Wars Retro Evolved 2. I think the only weak game of that summer was Galaga, Le- Galaga Legions. Um, so I, I had a really great summer. I was like, I'm going to spend all of these Microsoft points, because back in 2008, uh, we were still using Microsoft points on the 360. Um and I bought it there, and I played it, but I didn't complete it. And then I think I got it later as part of a Humble Bundle and redeemed it on Steam. And as I loaded up the game to uh, to start it as we were playing it, I realized I was three-quarters of the way through it, and that was maybe one of the toughest things to let go of, that wow. three-quarters of the th- way through save to start fresh. Because I remember just how painstakingly difficult um, it was to get some of those final puzzle pieces. Oh, what you're telling me. Oh. <laughs> yeah, oh. I think we're going to get into that a little bit. Yeah. We're going to have some some group therapy. Oh my the, gosh, you have no idea. Dealing Mike, with those issues. Mike, one thing I want to bring up. So, uh, not to make you think too far back, but when would you say you had a significant like Steam library? Like, was that around like 2010, 2011? And the reason why I say that is, I'm like 50 percent sure you might have been the reason I got this game because you might have like played it and like <laughs> kind of said, "Oh, I'm I'm going to get it." And then I think you mentioned you had like a gigantic library, and I'm like, "Okay, well, I got yeah. a gigantic library, and I might have bought it because of your recommendation way back when." So I have a selfish reason for wanting to do this podcast, and it's the last time that I looked at the uh, MSRP of my Steam uh, account. It was around ten thousand dollars. Wait, what? You can do that? Yeah, there's a. Uh there are sites that you can plug in your credentials into and it'll uh, look at all the games and figure out what the MSRP values. It won't tell you how much you spent on all those games, but it'll tell you what the MSRP value is. That's cool. Um, And yeah, so I have a gigantic backlog. Um, I was in a really privileged position when Steam first started doing their big gigantic blowout sales where everything was 90% off. And uh, I had a really good job that 
paid cash and I had no expenses. Um, so I poured a ton of money clearly into my steam account and it is, it would not surprise me if I had purchased braid in in the, in the frenzy of insane summer, st- uh, summer deals or Christmas deals. Yeah. Cause I'm almost certain you recommended it or some, cause I don't think I would have like been led to it in any way. Cause I didn't know much about like any indie games and it, it's not a type of game I'd even want to buy, but I think you might've mentioned it and that might've been the reason I got it, but it's way too you know, far back. That would make sense. And I'm super excited to hear your thoughts on this game because I know you have a uh, uh, a deep love for physicists. So I feel like that <laughs> might that might uh, seep through in the discussion yeah. of this game. Yeah, th- I th- just yeah. no, sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, this game it, it's 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 really cool. I don't think there's well, the, all the games we've played so far have been like different, but this one has been like mechanically the coolest looking game. But uh, yeah, Jacob. Uh, I just wanted to say how dope um, Summer of Arcade was and how it is it is about time for Microsoft to bring it back. I know that uh, given that distribution on digital platforms has changed a lot since they discontinued the program probably, I don't know, four or five years ago. Jacob, Jacob, what? Yeah. Okay, this is a genuine question. What is Summer Arcade? Summer of Arcade. So yeah, Mike Mike mentioned that um, Xbox Live, they were really the pioneers when it came to um, like making digital launches of games into an event. This is before, I think, even the Steam sale was a concept. Well, maybe oh, okay. not a concept, but before the first Steam sale, I think. But every year at summertime, I think in the month of August, they would go, okay, here are five games that you are absolutely going to love that we have vetted that are going to be like the best games of the year. So in that, you get games like Braid, like this one, like Castle Crashers, uh, Geometry Wars 2, Splosion Man, Limbo, uh, Bastion. Like you could you could go on and on about like the quality of the products that came out during Summer of Arcade. But like to me, that was always like... And they were free? It was such an event. <laughs> they were not free, but they were great games. And I think uh, a thing to, to keep in mind, uh, Jacob, I totally agree with, with your assessment there. The, the thing that made the Summer of Arcades so much fun was that traditionally there was the, the thing in the industry that everyone called the Summer Doldrum, where uh, there was a gap in game releases between E3 and September, because no one wanted to release their game before the big hitters started uh, rolling out at the end of the summer and the early fall, um, and no one wanted to release their game in the middle or immediately after E3 when everyone was looking to uh, to Christmas gifts or a year or two ahead in the future, um, or you know, drunk off of the games that they that had come out that spring, early summer. So it was it was a great bridge, uh, a lot of great smaller games that could help get you until. Uh, until the the new ones hit that coming that upcoming fall. Cool. Yeah, and those games surely got co marketing deals where they were like, "Hey, you're gonna get prime placement on the Xbox Live Marketplace." Because at that point in time, that was a big deal. I mean, if you watch uh, Indie Game the movie, you see how um, Super Meat Boy they didn't go up until the afternoon of their launch day and they just about lost their mind because they thought their their sales were going to be halved because they didn't get that prime store placement back in you know uh, the yeah. whenever it, the game came out exactly. 2009 2010 whatever it should also be noted that jonathan blow is in indie game the movie if uh, if you're interested in him a bit more um 
so you can you can see a bit more of him there. I don't know how much you guys want me to get into the background of Jonathan Blow. Um, I think we have like a, a good overview, but maybe yeah. down the line when we get further into the discussion about what this game means, uh, yeah. it might be a little bit more helpful. So I think I'll save some of that stuff until then. Cool, cool. Sure. Uh, one fun right. fact before we get into it, Super Meat Boy was another recommendation by Michael Ruffalo, and I own it because I think he brought it up too, because I would not have bought that <laughs> one either. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, Mike, back to you with the game. Hold up, real question, Mo. Real <laughs> yeah. question. Have you played Super Meat Boy? I played, so hopefully we don't play later on in the future, I don't have any spoilers. I played maybe, I think the first level, couldn't beat it, deleted it, uninstalled it, never looked at it again. Fantastic. So look forward to on a future episode of the Left Behind Game Club. No, Super no, Meat Boy. No, please no. no. <laughs> please no. Look, um, it might just maybe. be a solo me episode talking yeah. for an hour yeah, about Super maybe. Meat Boy then. Or you could just like do it and not podcast about it. I, it. It's a good game. It's just I don't think I'd be able to finish it. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> to be continued. You're weak. Continued. You're so weak. <laughs> oh, no. just wait till we get into this game. Why don't you? Why don't you start talking about Braid? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I guess let's jump right into it. So, Braid opens uh, with uh, a cold open of a silhouette of Tim, the protagonist. He's a scientist on uh, a ledge, the silhouette of it, and it looks like there's a burning city in the background. And as you start walking, the words braid appear above the burning city in flaming text, and you walk forward and you pass a small garage, you see some stars up in the sky, you walk a little bit further and you walk into an apartment. One thing, Mike, and, um, yeah. one thing specifically, because I didn't know before I bought the game, it's the traditional platformer, like Super Mario style, moving left to right. Um, I think exactly. that kind of... So you see the background, the background is part of it. Sorry to cut you off, but no, that was no. something I kind of was defining of the game, too. Definitely. So I, think, right. I think we're going to have a lot, of, uh, a lot of discussion points around how Braid is an homage and a pastiche of different... Uh, early video game references. Um, yeah. There's a bunch of Donkey Kong and Super Mario references yeah. throughout. Yeah. So yeah. Um, so you approach, uh, you enter the apartment by walking right, and then uh, you approach a door, and there are a bunch of blank, empty canvases hanging on the walls of the different rooms that you can see in this apartment. And uh, you approach the door, and you go through it, and you're... Uh, in this cloudy dreamscape of a world with a series of books in front of you with and as you walk in front of them text appears above and it gives you a brief story telling you how uh, Tim is looking to find his princess or looking to find the princess and uh, and once you complete reading these brief uh, brief paragraphs uh, you jump into the very first world one one so, Jacob Mo, do you want to uh, explain one one? Or sorry, two one. My bad. Yeah, you, I was you like don't one start one. With... You're skipping ahead. Oh, my bad, my bad. I'm so used to thinking about the very first world you enter as one one. Um, yeah, sorry, two one. We start at yeah, world two, and that confused me throughout the game. Yeah, it's definitely uh, yeah. Um... it's definitely a point of contention. Yeah, no, so, so I, I guess I can kind of uh, jump in. So uh, like we, we said, it's like the kind of left-to-right platformer. You jump into the first world, and you're introduced to a 
very unique, I guess, game mechanic where uh, you're, you're, as you're moving left and right, you have the ability to rewind the entire world and yourself back to a certain position. So a perfect example, let's say you're tracking along kind of like in Super Mario, if you get hit by a Goomba and they have like a Goomba style, I guess, bad guy, if it kills you, you can just rewind like a second back and continue on to the level and move on to the world however you please. So the object, I guess, is to find puzzle pieces because as Mike mentioned before, there is those giant canvases when you're navigating into like the main world and each puzzle piece completes a giant picture uh, at the very end. So you go through several different levels where you're kind of playing around with this like world mechanic of traveling forward, trying to get to a uh, puzzle piece or jumping over a Goomba to boost you up to another platform using the space time, I guess, back rewind feature to kind of move the world back in time in case you missed something or you need a Goomba to be in a certain place. All of this is jumping around to you and it's very, very unique to experience. I recommend, regardless, before, before you even get to the end of this podcast, I still think like it's something you should kind of just even watch a video on if you're ever not going to play it to see this mechanic of this very first world. And if, as soon as you see it, I, I'm, I'm almost certain you'd want to kind of see more of this game. Um, that's kind of world one. They introduced that rewind mechanic, moving back and forth. Sorry, this is, right. this is going to screw us up. That was world two. Oh, sorry, World 2, yeah, see, and <laughs> I'm not going to lie, I still think World 2 is World 1, because I just, it was so confusing, I didn't know why it was called World 2, because this so is like... So used to it, right. Yeah, it said World 2, and you're jumping in, I'm like, okay, where was World 1? I, I immediately thought it was World mm-hmm. 1. Yeah, world that, 2 is titled Time and Forgiveness. Yeah, um, I can't remember each individual, because in, in World 2, there was maybe six different levels. And each one is just kind of playing on that whole feature of rewinding time in order to advance and, and get to the level. I don't know, Jacob, do you have anything else you can kind of add to explain World 2 at all? Um, no, I, think I, I, I don't. Right. Yeah, I think you, you kind of nailed it. it um, I think it's a great introduction to the game because it, it sets up a mechanic that is used throughout because not every world has a mechanic that stays. I think the the first World Two and World Three give you mechanics that yeah. you you keep throughout the whole game. Yeah, uh, you know what? I want to throw one thing in that just came to mind right now. So I I brought up the whole Mario thing, um, and this directly relates to you know the the new Super Mario Run on the iOS devices that they released. Uh, if anyone has any experience with that, what it is? It's Super Mario, but Mario's continuously running. You have the option to jump and double jump. But that's it. He has a continuous run as the game is going on, kind of like the Shadow Run games, or the Temple Run, sorry. Mm-hmm. But in that game, they have the feature where, like, you, if you want to keep your, or I can't remember if you want to keep your score, or if you don't want to keep your score, you can get unlimited rewinds. And that's the mechanic that Braid has. So this game, Super Mario Run, came out maybe a year ago, whereas Braid introduced a kind of rewinding feature in a platformer, or I don't know if I'm giving the right person the right credit, but that feature of rewinding the world back to a certain place to kind of get a second chance at something, that's the main feature, I guess, of Braid, and hopefully that kind of explains it a little bit better. If someone's mm-hmm. played Super Mario Run and they haven't played Braid. Yeah, I, I think uh, I th- think like you were saying, World 2 is a very simple world that has no unique mechanics and just teaches you the basics that you're going to need to know. How yeah. to double jump off of Goombas, how to rewind time... Uh, how to space out jumps, things like that. I think the one thing that I have an issue with World 2, and it's maybe one of the most interesting things about World 2, is to complete the puzzle, 
uh, to get the last two pieces, you have to piece together the the picture and use it to to create a platform that you uh, extend a Goomba down onto the ground, jump on its head to get the final piece, uh, and then use that same platform to carry you slowly over across to get the the <laughs> yeah. other final piece. Yeah, and I know. Um, I know in seeing some different interviews, Jonathan Blow's not sure whether he would do that level the same way again, but it really frustrated me that that level was there or those, the way that you achieve those pieces is there is because you can't get those pieces the first time you see them. And for me, it taught me the lesson that, uh, you know, you're going to stumble across puzzles that you can't complete now that you might be able to complete in the future, sort of like yeah. a Metroidvania game. Um, and, that was frustrating because every other single puzzle in this game you can solve in the moment aside from those two pieces. Um, yeah. So it gave me a continuous sense of doubt as I was playing and, and frustrated me. Um, yeah. But it was kind of uh, a good lesson to learn because there were periods where I would skip over a piece that I was in, having a tough time figuring out the puzzle, come back to it and solve it almost immediately. Mm-hmm. One thing, uh, I don't know if we, we didn't bring it up yet, but it's one of the, I think is the coolest things about this game was the soundtrack. Just like the ambiance that's created in each world. I don't know what it was. I don't know any detail about it. If like you have anything, Mike, but every single time I entered a new world, it just, it was so like majestic and like weird and cool. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. He, um, he specifically licensed tracks that already existed, um, and I know one of the one of the things that he was going for with the opening track, the one that you hear in the hub world, is that it's uh, somewhat melancholy but hopeful, um, oh. which is definitely the vibe that I got. It's it's a little bit sad, but uh, you hear notes of of hopefulness, and there's a lot of violin, which I think sounds That's especially probably, yeah. interesting going forward and backward. Yeah, okay. Um, which the mechanics of the game change the music. So as you're rewinding the the music will rewind. Um and I thought that was that was an interesting nice little take. Yeah. Jake, did you have anything else that you wanted to add about World 2? No, I think with the music I think there's a lot around the game that I really liked. I think the art, we haven't really talked about it. I think the art is is excellent. It's like very like the colors are very like it looks like pastiche. Like it looks like a painting. Um, the art it looks like a dream. <laughs> it looks like a dream, and it controls like one too. Yeah, you know that that's that's the one thing is if you screw up and you don't get it right, the controls usually it's 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 your fault. It's not the controls' fault. You, um, you, you know what I thought it was in the most respectful way possible because I think this is a very neat game. It looks like professional finger painting. Exactly. Does, does anyone see that? Does anyone see the professional finger painting? Because it's like everything's all like, like big brush strokes. Nothing really precise. It's kind of like watercolors. Sort of like a Van Gogh painting. Like yeah. Starry night. And no, like the one with his ear. Like you know his face. The one where he's like uh, the the portrait mm-hmm. of Van Gogh. I feel like all the like artwork and like the backgrounds were very like that style. And yeah, Starry Night too. I guess, but like, uh, yeah, very Van Gogh. That's a good good reference. 
I, uh, I don't know enough about art to know what style that is, but yeah, I, uh, I definitely I definitely agree with you. Mm, it's very avant-garde, isn't it not? <laughs> exactly. No, I don't know anything about it. But Sorry to be avant-garde from uh, over 100 years ago. <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know what that means. Uh, world 3 is... <laughs> yeah, World 3. Time and mystery. Okay, and that's all about, like, glow, right? Yeah, so that introduces the mechanic glow, where any object that's glowing, whether it be a switch or a key, is outside of the normal realm of time. And uh, it's where we see, I think, the first of many recurring examples of the pit. Yeah, so pretty Um, much... Mo, do you want to explain that? Yeah, so what the glow, I guess everybody we're kind of talking about, so objects in... The, the level itself, whether they're like platforms that you walk on, or they're switches, or they're keys, they'll be glowing. I think it was purple was the color. And um, when oh, you, they were green in mine. Or was it green? I think it was uh, green. Something was purple, and I can't remember. But um, regardless, if it was green, yeah. So they'll be glowing. Doors. Was it? Okay, yeah. So uh, they're they're gates in the parallel universe level. Gotcha. But yeah, so any, anything that, glo- that was glowing, when you did the rewind feature of like moving the world back in time, it did not go back in time. So perfect example, let's say uh, you had a key or yeah, you had a key, you're picking it up and you dropped it. In the normal level, if you rewind it, you would drop the key while you're rewinding. Whereas this one, if you dropped it and rewind it, it stays where it is. There's no moving of the object. So with switches... If you moved something like a switch over and it moved a platform and you started rewinding super fast, the platform will move at its own trajectory, its own speed, regardless of how fast you're rewinding. It's kind of abiding by its own time, space. It exists on its own outside of the game itself. And that adds like a completely new mechanic because before you're kind of like, oh, I can control everything. No matter what, I'll press rewind and I'll move everything around where it's like now you have to play with something that abides by its own rule and you have to kind of use that to your advantage or see what you can do to kind of move on to each level. Does that give it, does that give it justice, I guess, uh, explaining? Yeah, the, that, that the does. Um, yeah. Did you guys have any highlights of World 3, Time and Mystery? Um, I'm trying to think of highlights. Can I, you know, uh, can uh, I like, can I just go in? Can I just yeah, like, go for it. can I finally like just let it out? Let, let, it out, let I'm the here floodgates open, Jay. Oh go. my God. Go. I, here. ah, this game. Oh here my go. God. Oh, go. oh, I've been sitting here in my chair and I'm just like, these guys are talking and I'm just, I can't, oh, sorry. I'm go sorry. Ahead. What's wrong? <sighs> It, it was just time. really hard. This game is really... <laughs> this game is so hard. Jacob? It's yeah. so simple, though. No, 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 no. Uh, you know what? Jacob, you stay on your side. Mike, you stay on your side. I'm jumping on oh. Jacob's side. This was the hardest game I've ever played in my entire <laughs> life. I've never wanted to uninstall something so bad. Um, <laughs> let me uh, Now, Jacob, I, I'll help you with this, too. So, I hate platformers. I hate them. But Braid was so cool and unique with like adding the rewind function that I was that it kept me going. But it got to the point this time around, whereas before I think I just stopped playing it. This time I was like, it shouldn't be this difficult. It shouldn't be this difficult to figure out this puzzle. Children should be able to play this. Why am I struggling? Several points in this game, it did that. But like, and I feel like if, if that difficulty was like somehow changed or there was a different way to solve every every level. I, I think I would like be adoring this game, but the fact that every single time I wanted to throw my monitor, <laughs> that was annoying. So I totally Mike, understand, Jacob. 
Okay. Yeah, I, I I tried so hard to just like hold it in until we were like through, but I just, just I, I played the whole game with a walkthrough. Oh no, Michael! Stop it, Michael! Stop it! It is almost uh, no. it, it is almost no. impossible to play it without it. It's almost impossible because here, um, actually, this is I'm going to jump bring Jonathan Blow back into this. You guys um, hurt me. You hurt no. me deeply, Mike. Trust me, I think I have something good. So that's going to help you if you want to kind of jump off of this point. So I watched an interview with Jonathan Blow, the designer of the the game, the one who developed it and created this crazy thing. He brought up the point that apparently the I guess the this is going to be completely my way of saying it. I might not be giving him justice in how we explained it. Um, but what he was saying is like the Japanese way of creating games is assuming the player is dumb and not making things too difficult for them because they will run away and scurry, a.k.a. me and Jacob are running away scared. <laughs> it is too difficult. Where he, his point of view was like, no, like, you know what? The game, the player is, uh, is a smart person. Give him a chance. They'll be able to beat it. And he definitely use that mentality when building this game. It got to the point where I th- I'm pretty sure it was a level in, I think, World 3, or it might have been World 4. I think it was World 4, because I got to like World 4 without doing playthroughs. Actually, it might have been World 5. I think it was World 5. Anyways, regardless, I got to a point where I was like, there's no way. There's no way to beat this game. There's no, there's, there's, it does not make sense. Everything doesn't work. I looked at the walkthrough solution, and I'm like, it should not be that difficult. You have you have like fractions of like a millimeter of like oh, sorry, nonsense, margin. nonsense. Oh. You know what? Take it away, because I nonsense. I, okay, so I'm, I'm, uh, I, I accept your point that this is a challenging game, um, but the I think the beauty of this game is that it's simple. The solutions, yes. aside from one or two, are very simple. You just need to understand the rules and mechanics of the game, and then the, or specifically the world that you are in, and then what the implications of that are. Mike, you know so, what you just said there? You know what you just said there? It's a, it's a very simple game. You just have to be smart to beat it. <laughs> but you are both smart guys. I understand, Michael, but do you understand what you're saying? You're saying, hey, it's it's a very easy game. Anyone can beat it. You just have to be smart. <laughs> so yeah, it's, 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 so it's... No, and honestly, it's not, time, a, it's not a smart thing. It's, it's that you need to put yourself... Take yourself out of the I rules of the world that you live in I and put you. yourself into the rules <laughs> of the world that you, you're playing in. Yeah, Sorry, no. Jacob, go ahead. No, no, I was just saying that, so I finished it, in. I, I sat in my chair one night and just went through the whole thing. I sat in this uncomfortable kitchen chair in this place that I'm renting, short term, like th- this is going to stick with me for a long time when I, when I think about braids. So I'm sitting in this uncomfortable <laughs> chair, Crying. I'm... I'm I'm sitting with my PC on this like card table essentially, right? I'm playing this game. I have my two screens. I'm playing it on the main screen. I have a walkthrough on the right screen because I said it mangoes in previous. Next to you. There's there's mangoes. I'm eating them and I'm crying. Gumballs. But I, there are gumballs too. I I don't want to explain that story on the on this. But there are gumballs and there are mangoes, and I'm just really struggling with it. Um, and I and. I, I'm just trying to get this out the right way. So after I finished the game, I didn't say anything to you guys. I just kind of sat and I stood and I actually sat there. I think the whole next night watching things and reading things about the game, just, just to see like, am I an outlier? Is this art? And I just don't understand. I didn't say and, 
And one thing that really <laughs> stuck with me is I watched um, uh, No Clip. So Daniel Dwyer, uh, his No Clip documentary channel on YouTube, it's fantastic. He has a series called Rediscovering Mystery. And on this series, it's Derek Yu who designed Splunky. It's Jonathan Blow who has done Braid and The Witness. And then Jim Crawford who did Frog Fractions, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a quote in there from Derek Yu that... Um, he basically is like, if you take all of the hard things out of a game for the benefit of those who can't do it, then what are you left with, right? And and most said it that like the Japanese culture of game development is like, if it's too hard, don't put it in because we don't want to alienate the audience. And I and I I appreciate what <laughs> I appreciate what the game is trying to do. But I think it's fair for me to say that it was it was difficult for me to the point where I didn't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I hear you, and I and I'm sorry that I had to. I couldn't wait until the end. But no, I no, just, it's okay. I it was really hard, and the the funnest part to me was was solving the puzzles after every world <laughs> because that was. <laughs> <laughs> That was, it was really satisfying for me to, I didn't need help for those. I, okay, <laughs> guys, I have to say, I, it's not like I blew through this game. World two and three are the only worlds that I essentially like blew through. Mm-hmm. Worlds four and five, I smacked my head against that wall a lot. It took me a long time to get through them. But the difficulty of getting through it, similar to what Mo was saying earlier, was what made it so worth it. The the sense of accomplishment and achievement, having completed something that was so elegantly simple, um, was just something that I... It's not a feeling that I get often. And it's, it's definitely not a fun game. It's not a game that... Uh, you know, incentivizes you to feel fun and do things that give you small hits of dopamine. But it's something that gives you that long, I think, delayed gratification of knowing that you could at any one point grab that marshmallow. But if you hold out longer, you're going to get two marshmallows later. You could yeah. at any one point. You didn't look tell up, me there were marshmallows. <laughs> you could at any one point look up a walkthrough and use it. But if you wait longer, you'll be able to appreciate solving it yourself. And I'm just I'm just upset because I think you guys robbed yourself of a great experience. No, because in World Three, like the World uh, Three Level Six, Irreversible. Yeah, I, I that was so rewarding. I felt so good playing that. Which Completing one was the that? boss battles. The, oh, um, oh, wait, 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 wait! Boss battles were amazing. I I enjoyed the boss battles thoroughly just because it, I didn't like, need help with those. Yeah, I did. exactly, I didn't need help. exactly, exactly. <laughs> There's no help needed for beating those bosses. That was satisfying. Yeah, and I guess Derek, you again to go back to this same video, and I think it's the last point that I have to make about that is um, he has a three-year-old daughter, and in the video he explains like um, going back to puzzles. He's like, my daughter had a puzzle, right? And there's a temptation when she struggles to help her out with it, but his whole thing was like, I'm gonna let her struggle and try to figure out this puzzle because she's not going to learn to do it herself if I like intervene and help her. So I totally appreciate that I I may have potentially robbed myself of a of a powerful experience and an experience to try and like fail and learn and do but I just I don't know what it is but it, it's just a, it's a patience thing, it's a time thing, it's um 
it, it's a time and place kind of thing that like I'm not great at games and I can totally appreciate that, you know, some people would like to bang their head against Dark Souls for, you know, <laughs> 40 hours to kind of uh, perfect their parry attacks or their parry strikes, but I'm just, I'm not that guy. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, no. and I, I actually, I want to hear you continue to talk about the game, Mike, because yeah. I, I feel like I took the easy way out and I may have robbed myself of an experience, so I want to hear what you have to say because you're i can tell through the microphone that you're glowing i mean there was there was a lot of fun i have a great respect for this game uh and and i don't want to take away i have a respect for it i i truly do um as a pioneer for indie games and for what it does but i'm just saying that personally sure. i didn't connect with it for sure um yeah, you know, I, I guess that's all I really have to say about World 3. I thought the, the boss battle was great, and I thought uh, solving 3-6 <laughs> irreversible, I thought that was a level that was just so rewarding to finally complete, because for me it was like sitting back and realizing that continuing to try and brute force and find a complex solution to these levels was not the right way to do it, that there were elegant, simple solutions to all of these, and I just needed to take a step back think inside the confines of the rules of each of these worlds and go from there. So 3-6 is the one where you had to pause time until the gate closed or passed a certain point and then uh, then allow it to go further. Um, so that way you could run and grab a puzzle piece while a cannon was shooting different Goombas at you. Mm-hmm. Um, but World 4 was titled Time and Place. Mo, did you have any specific thoughts about that one? Um... That's the one where the mechanic is when you move right, time moves forward. And when you move left, time moves backwards. This one was... This is the one... Yeah, I'm I'm almost certain it was was somewhere in World 4 when I I, I went the walkthrough route because I could not see where I could move. Anyway, so yeah, with this one... Yeah. Sorry, Jacob. Yeah, so this one was when you move left... Or sorry, when you move right, time is moving normal time. When you move left, time is reversing. So there's no like mechanic of rewinding by itself. It's just as you're moving, you're controlling time. Um, and the world responds to you. So it kind of does something similar to World 2. But now it's being controlled. Your time is being affected 100% of the time. Um, yeah, Jacob, yeah so there's no there? good way around it. <laughs> you know, exactly. I was just going to say that I remember Hunt uh, as like the one level that I remembered, which is probably like the... Four, third, four, fourth, maybe the fourth one, mm-hmm. and that that one I was able to figure out myself, which was one of the only ones. I, and I made sure to write this: "You did it, you did it, dog." Is what I wrote here. <laughs> um, but like, it, that's the one where you have to go and and basically like figure out. Okay, if I go to the top left, he's the one that goes to the most left. So you just have to kind of figure out how you're going to plot out killing these six Goomba esque creatures. Um, and that's the one that I was able to figure out. I think it's one of the only, the few puzzles where I was able to figure it out myself, but it was really satisfying to be like, okay, I'm going to go top left and then go down, but I have to make sure that I jump on this guy and across to like, that was, that was a cool moment for me. Is that the one where we have the Donkey Kong level for the first time? Yeah. Um, I think that is Donkey Kong. Yeah. It's not the first time, but it's the second time. Okay. 
because I thought some of these fantastic little uh, homages to Donkey Kong where, you know, the level is set up just like there's, I think, a statue with Donkey Kong holding a cannon that shoots out Goombas instead of barrels. Oh, yeah. I think those little, those little nods and touches were like a ton of fun. I didn't because catch that. I didn't catch no? that at all. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's there's a Donkey Kong looking dude um, with a with a big old mouth that uh, you. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's four uh, two jump man. Jump man, jump man, them boys up. Yes, exactly that. Uh, I I thought that was <laughs> I thought I thought that was great, um, and it made me think. Once I was finished the game, thinking back on levels like this, it made me think that Jonathan Blow framed the game around a platformer that is not very far off Mario, uh, in a way to to sort of like say this is another way that video games could have developed. Uh, from like a design perspective, they didn't. They don't have to be these big budget shooters that uh, that are thoughtless in a way, uh, and they could be more mechanically complex platformers. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, but I'm pretty sure he said he it took him almost three years to develop this game. And to be honest, there's very little. Like the mechanics are crazy because of the time and space. But at the end of the day, you're moving a little character left and right and adding a jump. And it, it's yeah. it's crazy how much like how complex it was and how he built it within those three years. Yeah, I think uh, if I remember correctly, he had he was super motivated on vacation in Thailand, and he ended up spending a week uh, developing a prototype of the game, and then he spent the next three three and a half years developing a variety of different puzzles that were more complex than the last, and continuing to refine and reduce it until he you know, had the game that it is uh, because his philosophy is instead of having a, a large amount of filler content, um, have a very specific amount of content where each thing is important. Similar, yeah. similar in a way to how uh, literature is structured where the author never writes anything unless it's important or that you should pay yeah. attention to it. That's, Oh, he brought that up in one of his interviews. Uh, so I will probably put a link or some, somehow puts a reference to it, but he mentioned that like hit, a lot of the, the Japanese, I guess, way of making games as well is kind of like adding a lot of like not filler, but like additional content to kind of fluff up the game to make it ten hours, twenty hours, whatever it has to be. Uh, and once again, I'm paraphrasing, but this is kind of a general sense of what he was saying. And he, where he said, you know what? I'd rather not do that. I'd rather give you little snippets where everything is calculated, everything is put in a certain way where you get a, an, an amazing experience instead of padding it with like a video or a cutscene or something crazy. It's like, you know what? Here's the game in its raw form. There's a lot of detail to it. Discover it yourself or don't discover it and maybe find it later on, which I thought, you know, that's props. I'm, so just a little disclaimer about myself. So I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan watch those movies way too many times to count and every time I watch it I notice one other small thing that like was in the book or one other small thing that I didn't pick up in the the first or second time or twelfth time that I've seen those movies and so I really appreciate it when you when you play a game and there are those small snippets like the Donkey Kong you guys are mentioning and props to him this was a well done game even though I thought it was too difficult <laughs> yeah I mean, the, there are two final worlds, but I don't know how much we want to get into the the details of, you know, the mechanics of those two final worlds uh, and our experiences playing them. Because it seems seems to me, from what I'm hearing from you guys, it's essentially uniform experience that they were all a little too difficult. There wasn't one world that was 
uh, easier than the other. Uh, um, two and three I thought were fine. Four, it got crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Four, I was like, that's when, like, the... I think when we were talking, like, uh, like we met talking to each other like separately about like how we're doing with the game while we're playing it. I'm pretty sure, like, when I when Jacob asked about it, I was like, "Oh, good luck, have fun." A part of me wanted to tell him that he was gonna want to tear his hair out, but also a part of me <laughs> said, "You know what? Let's let let him experience it by himself and see how he feels." Jacob hasn't told us this yet, but he's actually sitting in his apartment bald because he's pulled out all of his hair. Yeah, sorry, I, I just dropped, my internet dropped there for a second. Um, oh, didn't even tell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my hair is gone. Uh, no, look, I, I I caught the end there where you were saying, you know, is there anything you want to talk about in five or six? Uh, are there things that you would like to say specifically about five and six, Mo? Unless you said that and I missed it because I dropped off for a second there? Um. Well, just the two mechanics in five, like the one mechanic in five and the other mechanic in six, were pretty cool. Like outs, like taking difficulty out of the question and just the pure like new way of like adding another mechanic to the game. Because like I said, it's you're moving left to right and you're playing with time. The fifth world, uh, you get your shadow that like replicates what you. The parallel doing. dimension. Yeah, so just another like way to just mess with your brain, like how it's like tackling the world. You create a separate like time trial style uh, version of yourself that uh, runs around in the world, and then the sixth world, um, you create one little circle, I guess, location that makes it slime super slow for that little like block of space. If I didn't explain it well, feel free to chime in. But I guess those are the two. No, new- no, I think you have that. Yeah, those are the two mechanics that were added in there that, and once again, it's the same thing. You're playing a platform puzzle where you're trying to get puzzle pieces. You're moving left to right, but now you have the mechanic of adding a shadow, and then you have, in the World 6, you have the mechanic of slowing time only in a specific spot. And where you would use that is, like, if a, uh, a, a, say, a platform was moving left to right and it's going too fast, if you add the circle to slow it down, now you have more time to use it to jump off to another location, whereas before it would be moving too fast and you wouldn't be able to time it right. And then, yeah, with the shadow, the same thing, but now you can grab keys or make your shadow move around. It's two cool things, and those are probably the only things besides... Because at the end of the day, my final thing with this game is it, it reached a difficulty that kind of made me check out mentally from like continuing to kind of really want to finish the game by myself. I had to use those walkthroughs because it, it, right. it was pretty wild. I mean, by the end of the game, I did use a walkthrough for the Aha. final two pieces Aha. that I was missing. <laughs> Mr. Bougie, I, I Mr. Used... Oh, I, I beat the game because I'm smart. <laughs> I beat the <laughs> No, it, like I said, it's it's not about being smart. It's about taking the time and bashing your head against the wall. <laughs> um, yeah. It, there was one final piece, the, I think the very final piece in uh, World 6, that I had to use uh, because I was missing the final bit of putting the key on the cannon uh, to, to get that final piece. Uh, and then I had to use for the last piece in uh, World 5. But other than that, yeah, I think I wrapped up the game pretty pretty honestly. Uh, <laughs> Were we supposed to do it honestly? <laughs> I don't know. I, you know what? You do it however <laughs> it makes you feel. I think the However it makes you feel it. good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think play the goal is to play it. Just play the game. Experience it how you experience it. Um, yeah. So, okay. So now that we've done all of the 
the main levels and we've solved all of the puzzles and we've arranged all the pieces in the correct order. Um, we have the final, I think final world, which is the very first world, world number one. Um, Jake, do you want to walk us through what happens in world one? Yeah. So you go back to the beginning and, uh, it's a series of worlds where I believe in the first world time doesn't flow naturally, right? Is it, is that the thing with the, with the first world? Um, yeah, time, time flows in reverse. Okay. Uh, and when you rewind time, um, the, it goes, the world goes back to normal. Is that kind of how it is? Like you hit rewind. So I, th- I think from what I remember, a lot of it was, you know, this, this Goomba enemy is going to come up from the ground and you need to essentially put it back into place so that you can use it to get to the end. Um, exactly. So I think within that, within that, there are only four, there are only four kind of sub levels before you get to the final boss, which is basically a, chase correct correct do you want to walk us through the chase yeah so you are um when you come into the final section there's a knight that grabs your princess and basically says haha i have your princess and he takes (laughs) her across the 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 top of the level and you have to kind of follow along uh, well, you know, she's just moving with him across the top and you actually have to avoid and dodge and, and climb and jump. And, um, the whole time it's like one of those scrolling levels that you'd find in Super Mario Brothers where, you know, if you get to the edge, you're going to die. Uh, and when you get to the end, instead of kind of ending, you have to rewind time and go backwards to the beginning of the level. At which point, this is my interpretation of it, is that you are actually the one chasing the princess, not... No, sorry. The princess is running away from you. It is no longer you are trying to save the princess, correct? That's, or, yeah, that's, that's, an interp- that's one, that's of one interpretation. Yeah. Can I throw my two cents in here? So Yeah, go for um, it. I, I feel like I can admit this now about uh, when I got to this point. I didn't really read any of those books in each world where it explains no. the story. <laughs> I should have known. I should listen, have known. Listen, listen, here's my thing. Like, I, I, I'm a very stubborn video game player. I don't want to read things that are too long. I want an experience easily <laughs> given to me. I don't want games to be too difficult. I appreciate a great story, but have a narrator, please. Like I like I don't I want like I don't want to create the voice in my head. I'm not reading a book. Remember our last game? I was kind of talking about walking story. Um, I, I I don't know. I just I, I kept skipping through it. So when I got to this, <laughs> wait, when I got to this, there was the knight. I'm like, who the hell is this knight? Where? <laughs> I knew about the princess because the little the, there's at the end of each world there was okay. This is another thing. Maybe maybe you guys can help me with this too. At the end of each world, once you got to the end. There is like a Barney the dinosaur that comes out and talks to you and says, "Oh, no, no princess here." So I'm like, "Okay, no worries. I'll go to the next." The princess room. is in another castle. Yeah, so I'm like, "Okay, I can, I can understand that there's a dinosaur talking to me, sure, and he's telling me, hey, there's no princess here.' Great, one or two sentences. That's all I need." And then I jump to the next thing. Now, 
is there a reason for this knight that has been hasn't now when I say that at this point of the game was this knight explained? If not, am I just supposed to be like, oh, just a random thing and continue on? Uh, if you guys have an answer to that, that'd be great. If not, let's continue on with us chasing the princess before we die in this level. <sighs> so so knight, I read everything. Yeah. I just want to. I want to say this while you explain it. I read everything. Great. So go ahead. Great. So the knight is uh, is described in a way in some of the earlier text. Um, the game starts out by saying. Uh, the princess has been kidnapped by a horrible and evil monster, um, which is where a knight would come in, right? To, to save the princess oh. from a horrible and evil monster. Um, okay. Yeah, it's no wonder you didn't uh, love the game if you weren't uh, reading along with the text, because it has I think one of the... nothing to do with the text. It was mechanics that enraged me. Okay. And they so so this is... This is the thing that I think is important about this game and that sets this game okay. apart from from the others is that um, everything in this game works together in unison. The story follows... You can't divorce the, the mechanics of the game from the story of the game. You can't divorce the story of the game from yeah. the music of the game and the mechanics of the game from the music of the game. Um, they all work together mm-hmm. and... If you remove an element, it doesn't tell. Yeah, it is. It isn't the same whole. So if you're not following along with with the narrative, maybe the the game pieces don't make as much sense. So for example, I think it's World Five when you're given the ring. Um, the prelogue of it, the the intro story to it, is talking essentially about a divorcee who has a ring on his finger and how when people see the ring, it makes them cautious and nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, and you f- the the mechanic of that level is using the ring to slow down time, gotcha. which you know, like like I said, the story and the mechanics go hand in hand. Um, and if you divorce them, it doesn't quite make much sense why this ring slows down time, unless you're a giant Lord of the Rings fan and you know that there are different rings that have different powers, and there is one wearing to rule them all. Look, exactly. I, I guess the game is is purposefully ambiguous. Where, you know, you said it, Mike, and sorry if I'm paraphrasing, but you're essentially like, he does not want to be a game developer. He would rather be kind of a a, a storyteller, I guess. Um, yeah. And, and that he draws a lot of inspiration from several pieces of fiction. And... Yeah. Uh, I... I went down a so, real YouTube rabbit hole trying to figure out <laughs> tell, when the game happened, what the heck was going on. Tell us what you found. So I kind of went tell down. Tell us what the, the story meant. So to me, I at first was just like, this is his interpretation of a classic, you know, a classic storybook Kind of, kind of the way I felt about Shadow of the Colossus is, look, this is a very classic literary device. It's, you know, must slay dragon, must rescue princess, um, but kind of like Super Mario Brothers, right? Um, there's mm-hmm. even a dragon who says, like, hey, the princess is in another castle. But reading into it, I fell down the Manhattan Project um, Oh, oh, by the way, spoilers. Definitely. We're going to spoil everything about this game. I forgot to say it at the top. It's it's part of my shtick, I guess. But um, <laughs> the whole thing was, you know, I watched videos from Just Nuke It and from Rusty Moboxer. They had basically said, like, this is one of the quotes in one of the final um, books. In the epilogue. Is, 
is in the epilogue is drawn from uh, a quote from someone who worked on the Manhattan Project. So Bainbridge, the, Bainbridge, Bainbridge, yes, Bainbridge, yeah. yes. So and and I will let you kind of take over from here. But my interpretation is that um, you know Tim's princess was an atomic bomb because at the end, if you follow and collect all the stars. You get the same ending, and by the way, I watched it on YouTube. I'm sorry, um, but <laughs> the thing is, at the end, it's the same game except right at the end she blows up. So the whole thing is like, um, you know, he puts his life back together, which is the the puzzle pieces, um, and at the end, uh, the end is World One. So the atomic bomb bomb blows up in world one there are puzzle pieces in each world that he has to put back together so he puts his life back together after the nuclear bomb explodes um and all of the some of the text i don't have specific ones but some of them were obsessed with getting the princess which bainbridge was obsessed with the atomic bomb um Mm -hmm. that's kind of my interpretation of what i found there yeah, Mo, what did what did you find that the game was about when you saw that so, epilogue or ending sequence? Okay, so I'm going to be completely blunt once again, and I'm representing the simple gamer, I'll call it, the one that just needs explosions, <laughs> action, appreciates a good story, but doesn't want to have to like pull his hair to understand it. When I played through this game, I didn't understand a thing. I just was, I was so, I, I loved the mechanics. I loved how unique it was. It was overly difficult, but at the same time, I was not mad at it. When I got to the end, I was like, this made no sense. Let's go on YouTube. So it's, it's almost along the lines of like, I wish, like, I wish he added those Japanese style of game development where it's like, like, give, like <laughs> spoon feed me the story. Like, let me let me understand. Like, but even after I read about it, and then they, I, I saw the reference to the Manhattan Project and all of that, I thought that was pretty cool. But at the same time, I was like, meh, okay. I don't really care for the story. I still like the game regardless, and I don't even think knowing about the story afterwards made it that much better. The art, the music, the gameplay was all I needed for me to kind of really, really appreciate right. the game. And I there's a really. Sorry, I, I keep cutting you off, Mom. I'm no, just so no. excited to talk about it a little more. <laughs> no worries. Um, there's a really sad moment in Indie Game the movie where, and maybe it was just sad for me, but he, uh, Jonathan Blow, the creator of the game, is talking about the critical acclaim of the game and how he sees them, but he doesn't really care about the positive reviews. And that's juxtaposed with a video of Soldier Boy Tellum, the rapper, um, <laughs> where he is he is playing Braid, and he's like, "Look at this! Look at this stupid! Look at this stupid Mario game! This is stupid! I love it! Like it's so dumb!" And like, yeah, I feel as I feel as though that that to me was really sad because we didn't realize the vision that the creator was trying to put out there. Um, my heart just broke when I saw it oh, and really? I never thought I'd talk about soldier boy. Tell him on this podcast, yeah. but no, yeah. um, cranked at, I guess nope. I love that video for me though. Like I, 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 the story just, just for my, the way I experienced the game, the story didn't really do much. All right. That's completely fair. So Mike, you are someone who um, experienced the whole game, who um, may have gotten a little bit more out of it than than Mo and myself. 
what did you find when you or what was your interpretation of the story and then what rabbit holes did you fall down when you completed the game so i i definitely fell down a bunch of rabbit holes when i was finished the game because as i was going through i had a i thought i had a good grasp of what the story was about i thought uh you know he was uh, trying to find uh, a woman that he had been in a relationship with that he, you know, maybe had cheated on based on what I saw out of the, the picture in the first uh, first image. It looked like a man with a blonde woman. And at the end, we find the princess's dark hair. Um, I thought maybe he had substance abuse problems, because if you see in, I think, three out of the five, maybe four out of the five paintings, he's got uh, a drink, whether it's wine or a red solo cup or something along those lines. Um, I thought I had a good grasp on it until the end in the epilogue sequence where you get the uh, Bainbridge quote of now we're all sons of bitches. And that immediately struck me as, oh, OK, there's definitely something way, way more complex going on here. Um, and you read you know, sections in that, in that portion where the princess is upset that she's been summoned with her raging fury. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly when the uh, atomic bomb interpretation, you know, started to, started to make sense. It started Mm -hmm. to, you know, to start clicking. Um, I feel like there are a couple levels of what the story was and essentially like what it meant. Okay. Um, so I think I think the first level is clearly the story of Tim, who's a scientist working on the Manhattan Project and is trying to recapture and p- put back the pieces quite literally of his life. Um, you see him going back to his home, visiting his mother, going to his university, um, looking back on his life. Um I think the second level is clearly the atom bomb and the pursuit of knowledge of it and knowing that uh, once you hit hit that stage, it's irreversible. There's no way to take that stuff back. Mm-hmm. And it's about regret, which I think ties back to a lot of what um, the, the game is earlier about, right? Some of the levels are uh, time and decision, uh, hesitance, time and forgiveness, things like that. It's about trying to recapture and change some of the past. Okay. I I think, you know, you can abstract it a level further uh, and treat the princess's sort of knowledge of how, you know, you can pursue knowledge, but the pursuit of it is essentially alienating and uh, makes you separate from others and makes it tougher to continue to go on. And that that knowledge is then a burden. Um, And then I think there's uh, another layer that's essentially about determinism and free will. Um, because one of the things that struck me is there is one way to complete each of these levels. There is one way to get each of these puzzle pieces. It's not that there are multiple ways to complete these puzzles. There, there is one way to do it. Okay. And, uh, based on both endings of the game, whether you run up and touch the princess or whether she goes with the, the knight, um, both games continue back at the exact same point and you would have to go through the exact same thing again which is well, how how does it differ when you touch the princess and she explodes so interpretation is that you know you are the creator of the first atomic bomb what does the knight represent in this 
You know what? I'm not quite sure what the night represents. I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about it, and I couldn't come up with something that I thought made a bunch of sense. Um, the game only started to make more sense to me when I started thinking about the literary references that I had heard associated with this game. So the first one okay. that came to mind was uh, Godel Escher Bach. Um, and like the sub, what? the subtitle, yeah, Godel Escher Bach by Douglas Hofstetter. Um, the subtitle of that book is Eternal Golden Braid. Um, so that struck me as, okay, clearly it's, it's got braid in the title. It's about art, music, and, uh, physics. Um, there has to be, or mathematics. It ha- there has to be some type of connection. Um, but the more that I thought about that book and the more that I thought about the game, I didn't see as many very clear connections because that book's ultimately about like emerging consciousness, consciousness from like very complex systems and like determining meaning from like essentially meaninglessness, um, which is, I don't know about you guys. It's not really what I got from this game, but well, when, sorry, go ahead, Mo. Yeah. Well, so the thing is though, uh, I'm not sure if you brought it up or not, but in, there's the one uh, interview with, uh, with Mr. Blow. Um, he mentioned that like one of the people that asked him was like, Hey, uh, was the, was the storyline about this? And he's like, well, um, it, it may, it may not be. Uh, there's so many aspects of the game. I spent those, like I said, those three years developing the game, um, to say that the game was about one thing is to take away from the whole experience. So that kind of type of answer kind of implies he probably took pieces and bits from everywhere and everything was calculated. It wouldn't be a surprise if maybe that did influence it or maybe it didn't, but he's kind of keeping that question, sorry, the answer to that question open to interpretation and letting you kind of Mm -hmm. figure out and add meeting or add source wherever you see fit and kind of just leaving it to you. If you find a connection, I mean, that adds adds to the mystery, I guess, of the game and what the story really means. Yeah, that there's a lot of ways to interpret it. I think that's a good point. Um, I think the the thing that the reference that I found brought up uh, a bunch of times when falling down rabbit holes after completing the game was uh, it, um, blanking on the name of the author. Um, but the book is Invisible Cities. And uh, so I read it and essentially the conceit of the book, or sorry, the, the premise of the book is Genghis Khan is talking with Marco Polo and asking him to describe all of the cities in his vast empire because he's late in his years and he knows he'll never go and see them all. And Marco Polo tells him about 55 different cities and about halfway through the book, instead of it coming at the very end, halfway through, he says, um, you know, in fact, I've been telling you all along of one city, and that city is Venice. And uh, it then becomes a discussion, and the story changes. Even though after that point, he continues to tell small vignettes of different cities, even though you know that it's about Venice, um, it's a different story from that point forward. And it made me realize that um, braid is structured in a very similar way you play from two to six and then you play uh one and the epilogue and then once that's over the story is completely different told again um so my interpretation the first time through before having completed the epilogue was that it was a story about tim trying to find this princess and uh trying to understand you know what's happened and try to put put these pieces back together and you thought it was very simple right like that that 
you didn't think that there was deeper meaning, right? Is that right. kind of what I'm I, gathering I from this? Yeah, I didn't poke much further. I thought maybe it was uh, tough There's a language. princess. There's a dinosaur. Exactly. There's Goombas. There are rabbits. There's a knight. I don't know. Rescue the princess exactly. and you will be rewarded. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then once I completed it and I went back and I realized that there was the interpretation of the atom bomb, which is like obviously clearly there, I realized that there are like more and more layers to go. And that's, it's where I had a, you know, even greater appreciation. I think, um, I think Jonathan Blow has a very interesting way of looking at, at the world. And I think he's done a fantastic job of making a game a very specific unique thing that you could not tell this story of braid in any other medium um even though people mm-hmm. have tried in dance and theater um so yeah I, I it's it's for me i think there's a ton of ton of different meetings ton of different ways to look at it um and i i know i'm gonna continue to think about it and scratch at the surface what, what about you guys well, I think it leads to like the question about should it be left behind, or are, you guys <laughs> are we already there? Is that where we're at? I, I think I, we're there. Then I think so. I think I've vented as much. Unless Jacob, do you have any more uh, rants or anything you want to anything you want to discuss about? No, and I I don't want you to think that I'm the rant guy because like that's not what I'm about. Like I I try and find the good in everyone and everything and I'm that's not just a line that I'm feeding you. So <laughs> this I interpreted the story as a simple platformer being told as a fairy tale as and then when the game got further in and when uh you know some of the storybooks um in the kind of overworlds kind of diverted and started telling tales about you know jealousy stories about um uncertainty i i thought that those were just kind of uh, like stray hairs that were just kind of feelings and emotions that were being told i i really like to like things and i don't know i i'm confused i'm conflicted now talking to you guys about it because i I, i'm really glad that i I played this game about a week ago and i'm really glad that i had the time to um to think and to process it because i think if i would have recorded immediately after i finished the game i would have been very angry i would have been extremely angry and i don't think that's fair to braid i don't think that's that's fair to jonathan blow to be angry and it's a me problem it's 100 percent a me problem i don't know you have an opinion to a game it doesn't have to abide by anyone else's opinion i guess if you feel a certain way you feel a certain way it's not troll or anything it's just hey you 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 were one of the probably hundreds of thousands or millions of people that have played the game i guess don't don't feel bad about it if you don't like it you don't i'm like actually it. Yeah. jealous I, i'm jealous of mike because he got well one he played the game in the purest form which was you know without walkthrough trying to figure it out by himself and i don't know if i could have done that like i don't know if i could have figured it out myself and i'll never know um so mike i'm jealous that you you could have definitely done it i don't think that i I didn't use a walkthrough like there there were little pieces that i was cleaning up at the end two pieces that i needed to use that walkthrough for because i had i had hit my breaking point but but you you're a smart guy you're both smart guys i know you could <laughs> could have definitely done it 
Yeah. Then why did we why did we cheat? Why did we cheat here? So it's you not wanted just that us. marshmallow now instead of two marshmallows <laughs> later. Yeah, literally. But I, I looked it up, and a lot of people were talking about the difficulty of the game. Like it wasn't like a like a one off or I guess two off in this situation. Like. Uh, thing like a bunch of people that played it kind of felt hey like even they were almost just as like nervous as Jake bringing it up like asking the question hey was was this too hard question mark question mark the fact that that our games comes, art yeah <laughs> <laughs> sorry I had yeah. to no no worries. at the same time like if I, I so right now I'm kind of learning game development I'm kind of learning how to create difficulty and one of the things I kind of picked up was when you're creating difficulty, you, you, this is coming from just a s- single instructor. They may not be instructing it the perfect way, but the way they're instructing it is you kind of want it to be almost like linear. You don't want any, any like deep valleys or like of easiness or difficulty just spikes because you could lose like your audience saying, oh, this is a wall I don't want to hit. Kind of, it's probably the Japanese style of game design. But uh, and I, I kind of, when I heard that at first, I'm like, yeah, that seems to make sense. I've never liked playing a game where all of a sudden I'm hit with a wall that's way too difficult to the point where I'm spending way more time than I usually have. And once I defeat it, I get hit with something even more difficult. It's all of a sudden kind of like smacking me in the face with, this is way too hard, am I still enjoying the game? I kind of want a linear progression of difficulty increasing, but no spikes. And I feel like this one had a very big spike coming on in, I guess the same place maybe Jacob got, it was like World 4 or 5-ish. Yeah, and look, um, I watched the review of Ryan Davis from GiantBomb.com. Rest in peace, Ryan Davis. Um, I shared the same feeling as him. Um, I play games because they're fun, and I hate to, like, just... After what I said about Gone Home, I don't necessarily think it's fair for me to just say, I play games because they're fun, because, you know, Gone Home is is 100% story. Um, but look, I play games because they're fun, and I'm terrible at them. So Braid was hard for me. I don't like playing hard games. Um, Ryan Davis talks about how, you know, normally he doesn't play that type of game, um, but he appreciated how the, um, the story wrapped up for him, I guess. Um, I guess I maybe should have tried to give the game a little more of a chance, I guess. Maybe? I don't know. Yeah. It's funny because I think um, Jonathan Blow brings this very fact up. He he brings he explains it kind of like how a movie is. So like when you go to watch a comedy, if it's not funny, you walk out going, hey, like why didn't I laugh? That was a terrible movie just because I didn't laugh. When you go to a scary movie, if it's not scary, you're like, oh, this is a terrible movie. And he's saying, like, with games, the, it's only, it's only, it's kind of like one thing. You walk in, you say, if I didn't have fun, it's not a good game. But it's like, wait, there's so many other things into it. He didn't really make it to really be fun. Um, I think that was the direct wording he used. But once again, I'll put, we'll put a link to the actual interview. Where he's like, I made it so many different things into it. It's the, the crazy mechanics. It wasn't kind of like fulfilling uh, the traditional role of a game where it's like, hey. Here's a game. Have fun. There's, it's very linear. There's nothing really crazy. It's very polarizing. Yeah, and it's mm-hmm. polarizing. And I poured and and I and I don't want to say that I just played it and then I flipped my table and said I'm done with this. Like I spent <laughs> a lot of time pouring over like YouTube videos and interviews with Jonathan Blow and uh, Mike. You linked us to a few things. I don't want to just say like, yeah, games aren't are games are games are supposed to be stupid and fun like. <laughs> I spent time trying to deconstruct the story and if I'm being perfectly honest, I feel like that was funner than actually playing the game. Really? 
Yeah, and, and this, again, it's a me problem. But like, diving I don't see into, that as a problem. I don't diving yeah, into the myth, the the mythos behind the game was more enjoyable than actually playing it to me. I don't think you should be ashamed if you don't like a game, regardless of what the mass appeal or the critical acclaim is. Like, if someone watches, I, I, I don't know, let's take an example of, like, The Godfather. Um, it's kind of thought to be, one, like, an incredible, great movie. If someone says, oh, I don't like The Godfather, one, at first, personally, I'd be like, well, okay, you know nothing about movies. But at the same time, I respect, I guess I understand that someone can have an opinion to not like The Godfather. Maybe they just don't like violence, or they didn't understand the story, or whatever it hey, is. Mo. Hey, Mo. Hey, Mo. I don't like Lord of the Rings. He's going to okay. tell you to get out. Yeah, um, so, okay. Mo's leaving me behind Mike, at the next Mike, truck stop. M- Mike, you've known me, <laughs> Mike, you've known me a long time. How many times have I ever been, like, speechless? Rarely. I always have an opinion. I'm speechless. You always have a troll ready to go. Yeah, I didn't have anything. You stumped me right there. But anyways, yeah, like, it's a, <laughs> at the end of the day, like, Jake, if, if you're, regardless of how you feel about a game, it's completely valid. Like, I don't know. Just because if a game wins millions of awards or whatever it is, I don't think it gets a stamp of this is a great game because someone can play it and have a terrible experience and be like, oh, this wasn't a great game. Yeah, and it's different than the other two games that we played. So for people that haven't listened to those episodes are available now on iTunes. Hashtag always be plugging. Um, But for Shadow of the Colossus, I enjoyed that game. I thought it was a little long, but I definitely like enjoyed it. It was fun. Um, Maybe a little bit of fat. That was my opinion on it. I loved Gone Home. With this game, I appreciate where it's coming from. It's like wine for me. So I can appreciate a good glass of wine, but if I want to have a good time, I'm either going to get the whiskey or the beer out, and I guess that's how I feel about Braid. That's a good advice. That's a good example, or I guess good explanation of... Uh, this is a wine game, and oh, I'm not a big fan of wine. I am. You, you love your Smirnoff Ice, though. That was one time. Don't you dare bring that up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I didn't know that the, the Smirnoff was going to be in the cereal box. So, quick little backstory. Jacob's given a cereal box. Inside was a Smirnoff Ice. The ritual, it was my birthday. The ritual is when you find a Smirnoff Ice, you get iced, a.k.a. you have to chug it on the spot. And that is why it holds a special place in Jacob's heart. I hate Smirnoff Ice. I hate it. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, Mike, how do you... Uh, I guess we, we wrap here. Uh, unless you had more um, more different stories that you wanted to compare uh, no, Braid no, I to. I think we covered most of it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so, so for me, there's no leaving this game behind. I think it's a fantastic game. I'm going to continue to think about it for quite a while. Um, yeah, and it's not a surprise to me that it continues to be re-released on more and more platforms. Jacob? I'm happy that I finally played it because as with Shadow of the Colossus, it's now another game that I can talk about in the grand scheme of the long-standing video game industry. I personally will leave this game behind, but now I almost wonder if I had the abilities that Tim had, could I go back in time and play it without a walkthrough? Yeah. The answer is yes. So, yeah. so I can I can rewind time? No, if you had those abilities, <laughs> you could. <laughs> Welcome to Never End- the Left Behind Game Club. Or Never Ending. <laughs> that was Sorry. actually really weird. It actually sounded like we were restarting it all. <laughs> Mo, uh, so you have to do it's, that. It's, this is really strange. Like 
it almost seems like I've been placed here to be kind of right in the middle between you two. But uh, so I feel the same way about like Jacob, where it's like it was too difficult. But for me, I kind of still have a little bit of like the appreciation that Mike has. I thought the gameplay and the mechanics were like so good. The music was great. The ambiance, the atmosphere was created. Uh, the way you can backplay time and how like each level, each world was a little different. I thought those overshadowed the difficulty of the game. And even though I did use walkthroughs and I got super frustrated with it, it really quickly. I really hate platformers. I would never play them. I because I I can't deal with like retrying the same thing over and over and over again. I, that's that's at that point I get I uninstall games. But I say 100% do not leave it behind. You have to play it, even if you pay the $3, $4 on Steam, and you only play the first two or three worlds, I feel like you get your money's worth, and you see, you play an experience that you won't see anywhere else, and it makes it worth it. And you know what? Maybe you might go the Mike route, where you finish the entire game, or maybe you go the Jacob route, but you, at least you've made it through those first two or three worlds, and you've seen this game, you've seen how unique it is, and you kind of like get a little bit of a gameplay out of it, even though it's it might be too difficult for the average person. Um, so for me, I say do not leave it behind. You should grab it, give it a shot, um, and see how far you can get. I think Great. that's a note to leave it on. Yeah. Excellent. Do Should we share our plans for the next episode? Yeah, I think, Jacob, this is on you with the next one, if I... Yeah, so um, we've kind of decided what we're going to play next, and uh, I'm actually going to get my pick early because I don't have the system that Mo wants to... It, it, so basically, it's Mo's turn, and he selected a game that I don't have the system for right now, so we're taking my pick first. So the next game on the next Left Behind Game Club is Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons. Um, I am super jazzed to play this one again. Um, it's a game that came out a few years ago. Again, a summer of arcade game um, that I constantly bring up uh, in conversation. So I'm excited to have cool. both of you play it. Cool. Yeah, this is going to be my first run through. It. Yeah, it's my first run through on this one. So I'm excited. Going into it completely blank with no, not knowing nothing about it besides the title and the price on Steam. So I'm excited too. Yeah, so other than that, you can follow us on Twitter at Left Behind Club. Um, you can follow me at Ruflo M. Uh, you can follow Mo at M Mertati. And you can find Jacob at Jacob McCourt. Um, and if you can do us all a favor, review on iTunes with a five star rating because anything less is not really what this podcast is worth, I think. I think you'll agree. Um, that is a, that is a huge help and then share it with one of your friends. That'll help us get more people listening, get more feedback, and then we can turn this into something that, uh, has a bit more momentum. And Mike, there, there are different strokes for different folks. If, if you want to hear about Shadow of the Colossus or you want to hear about Gone Home or this episode, you're listening to Braid, that's cool. But we also have an interview with Carla Zamonja. She is one of the co-founders of the Fulbright Company, one of the designers of Gone Home. Uh, so again, if, if you're not into this long talky stuff, we've got a short interview with her um, that is, I might be biased, but it, it's, it's pretty good. It's pretty dope. Boom. She's a cool person sounded great i can't wait to hear it again <laughs> do you want to bring us home mike 
Hello, my darling. Hello, my baby. Hello, my ragtime gal. Go into that deep register. Do it. Mm. <laughs> I don't know how to take this home, Jacob. I'm floundering here. Jacob, Jacob, we're leading. To- to- we're leading towards you, man. Hit him. Okay. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Peace. See ya. Bye bye. See ya. See, that was easy. You just say the words. I didn't know what you wanted me to say. Don't just don't sing them. Like just say the words. <laughs> Use the English language. <laughs> you have such a great vernacular, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I,